2: From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nernette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, we are going to hear from one of the women who recently led the first ever study that actually used blood when testing period products. Yes, that happened this year in 2023.
3: But we are still behind. So very behind.
2: But first, it's another round of Burden or Delight, our extremely low stakes game with no score or prizes. Playing with us this week is the senior producer of WBEZ. Daily talk show reset, Meha Ahmad. Meha, hello. Hey, Greta. Also, here is the host of the Axios Today podcast, which is about to be replaced by a new weekly show that is coming out soon, which, of course, will still be hosted by Nyla Budu. Nyla, hello.
1: Always happy to play for the glory. <laughs>
2: Okay. So as I mentioned this week, we are back on our bullshit with the burden or delight game. This is very simple. I'm going to tell you about three different news stories from the week, and you can tell me whether each is a burden or a delight. So let's start with the new iPhone. It was unveiled this week. Part of the announcement included the fact that it will no longer be using a lightning cable to charge. Instead, it's going to use USB-C, which is a super common plug these days. They will actually charge faster, but this does mean that we're going to have to replace every single phone charging cord in our home. So, Meha, I want to start with you because I remember you're our, like, tech anachronist. Is this a burden or a delight for you?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's it's both, right? Like, I'm glad that, you know, we're, we, we're not going to be beholden to the proprietary um, chargers that mm-hmm. Apple made us. Get. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yet, I've got this charger everywhere. There's one in my backpack. There's like, right. one probably in every other outlet in my home. Um, there's one at my desk. Like, what am I supposed to do with all of these? things? <laughs> but really glad and also maybe in a petty way that Apple was kind of forced into this by my understanding is the European Union rule that, you know, uh, everybody had to switch to, I guess, a USB-C. And I like kind of that Apple was just sort of forced into this the way we were forced into getting their proprietary charger. Now they're kind of, you know, beholden to this rule. So that's uh, a little bit of both.
2: Yeah, I could see that. It's funny because I bought a MacBook Air in probably like 2016. Like it has since died But that had a USB-C charger. And I remember at the time when I bought it, the dude at the Apple store was like, don't worry, everything's going to switch to USB-C super soon. And I was like, "Okay, dude. So it's very funny. And like I have since bought a new laptop that does not use that charger. But it's like they've finally done it for the phone.
4: I mean, he's right. If you're really, really like loose and (laughs) free about (laughs) the definition of super soon.
2: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Only seven years. What do you think, Nyla, burden or delight on this one?
4: I feel like this is all burden.
1: I feel like, first of all, I know this is going to sound dumb, but are there like different types of USBCs? Because I feel like There are all of these little plugs that I think are supposed to be USB-C, but then, like, my headphones, like, my Sony noise-canceling headphones takes a different Mm -hmm. one for the charger than, like, my little travel white noise machine. Like, I'm very confused. Like, there doesn't seem to be a universal size of USB-C. I
2: think there is, but I think there's also mini USB, which a lot of like headphony sort of, and like Kindle uses mini USB. So like, it's still like, you're going to need to bring like 17 chargers with you. It's not simplifying anything. No. Exactly. Like to your point, I have so many of these cords everywhere and
1: you amass all of them. And now what are we supposed to do with all of them?
2: Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's some sort of like crafting project we can do that would be like really meta commentary on the whole thing.
4: Listen, I opened up a door the other day and found the old, I don't even know what it's called, but the old iPod charger. Wow. I'm happy to contribute to this art exhibit. <laughs>
2: Amazing. Amazing. We'll do it. We'll do it. Okay. So another story that caught our attention this week was a literal wine flood. Over the weekend, two tanks holding nearly 600,000 gallons of red wine burst in a small Portuguese town. Wine was like gushing down the streets. No one was injured. I do think that's important to note. So I don't know, like, is the river of wine a burden or a delay? Nyla, what do you think?
1: Well, when I first saw the story, I thought this was like the French story about how farmers are being paid to destroy their wine. Because that's also happening. And I was like, Uh was this their creative way of destroying wine and delighting people? And I'm like, oh, no, it was just an environmental spill involving wine.
2: It's pretty wild. I mean, I think it's probably full burden, right? I mean, it's going to stain a lot of stuff.
1: You have like the 10 seconds of delight of watching the video and then it's horror and burden.
2: I love the 10 seconds of delight, though. I think we should hold on to that. I think that's really sweet.
1: I mean, I think that's a good way. It's a good philosophy of life. Let's just hope that there's 10 seconds of delight.
4: Exactly. What do you think, Maha? I don't drink. Shout out to my fellow teetotalers out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But like, I mean, so if I did, I'm sure I would probably grab a straw and go for it. But like, I saw it and I kept thinking of the chocolate river in the Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I thought for someone, this is a really magical day.
1: (laughs) It's like a very subterfuge type of ad campaign for the new Willy Wonka movie.
2: Oh, yeah. Wow. That would be wild. Um, Nyla, to your point, though, this was sort of related to what you were talking about in France because it is related to surplus. Like it was all surplus stored in a separate container because there is just too much wine in Europe right now. So Portugal and France and Italy all have an oversupply due to like a decline in consumption and exports, which is pretty wild.
1: It's interesting that in 2023, that would not have been on my bingo card.
2: Mm-mm. Everyone <laughs> has stopped
1: drinking and there's an excess know, of wine.
2: Right? Okay. So finally, let's talk about this piece from Vox about birthdays. I thought this one was very interesting. The headline is how birthdays became week blowouts. And that's essentially the whole deal. They're talking about how, you know more and more people are celebrating birthday weeks. It opens with a story about this chick, Ashley who flew across the country for her friend from high schools, like multi event birthday weekend. It wasn't a big milestone year, but it was still a number of activities. And by Sunday afternoon, Ashley was exhausted. So she skipped the party in the evening and then her friend got really mad at her. And these are also, by the way, people who are in their mid thirties, um, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot to unpack with this one because I have been known to celebrate a birthday month, but I also do not impose that on other people. So I don't know, birthday week burden or delight. Maha, I feel like you're kind of a birthday month person probably too, right?
4: I'm a huge birthday month and week person. And, but the point that, I mean, you kind of just said it right there. You don't burden other people with it. Like for me it's a personal celebration, right? Like I'll I'll take anything to celebrate myself, right? So like exactly. I'm a Gemini. Um I'm, I'm you know, I'll I'll do the whole like it's Gemini season and just sort of like feel special during that time where, you know, I have a May birthday, so it's kind of like a fun time for me where it's like the Same. weather's getting really nice and you know, we'll do barbecues and stuff. But again, it's like I am personally celebrating. I will take myself on a spa day, right? I will go shopping, uh, whatever. But the requirement to have your friends fly out for a Mm three-day Bacchanal or whatever, like that's a (laughs) lot, man. And when we're in our 30s, like expecting people to drop everything just to sort of shower you with attention Mm -hmm. felt really Mm -hmm. immature. (laughs) I I didn't love that. And also, here's the other thing. Maybe I just don't roll in the groups that are so cool that they can take off a week to celebrate some random friend's birthday. I mean, these people are not journalists. Let's just, like, like, these people are not people who work on
1: daily news shows. They're like, I'm going to take a week off and go celebrate a friend's birthday. My favorite part of the story was that in ancient cultures, only high-ranking adult men got to celebrate their birthday. So I was like, "This
4: is." I was like, "Okay, well, we've at least advanced beyond that." But
1: there you go. Let's We're not submitting. take it that yeah. far,
4: right? I just thought it was funny because I remember um, at an old job, I had an old coworker. I had I took off the day of my birthday. I didn't. I was like twenty five. I you know didn't want to be at work, stressed out on my birthday, so I took the day off. Yeah. And my one of my coworkers kind of. Not like gave me grief about it, but kind of was like, oh, you took off for your birthday. Like felt like it was so immature to mm-hmm. like, who does that? Like, come on, we all have jobs. Let's go to work. And like I till today completely disagree. You know, nothing's more miserable than being stuck at work, getting mad at somebody for, you know, a deadline you missed or whatever. And being like, today is my birthday. I can't believe I'm dealing oh, with this, you. I so, know. yeah. And, I'm, and, I'm, and so I'm like thinking about that and being like, well, at least I wasn't like making you know 10 people fly out for a three-day vacation like -mm. all I Mm -mm. wanted was my day off (laughs) I feel like you know celebrate you however you want to celebrate but um I don't know yeah just like don't burden people with it 10 seconds of
1: delight 10 seconds of delight also
4: applies (laughs) to birthdays
2: yeah I Maha I think you're totally right about the not burdening other people I think it also can be really inconsiderate it's one thing if you have enough cash to fly all your friends out somewhere then do that. Or like even, you know, I had a friend who for her 39th birthday, like rented a space for several hours and all the drinks were free and there were snacks. And that was a really fun way to celebrate her. I also, that same friend actually does a thing where like, she will also usually do like a brunch and karaoke and maybe one other thing, but she knows her friends well enough that she invites specific people to specific things, knowing who will like what, you know? It's like she doesn't even bother inviting me to karaoke that starts at 10 p.m. because she knows there's no way I'm going to show up. <laughs> and I think that's lovely. I think that's a beautiful celebration of our friendship, you know?
4: Yeah, because it's also... it's cause At that point, it's about, it's about everybody. It's about the friends, yes. too. She is honoring her friends rather than looking to them to be like, what are you going to do for me?
2: Yes, exactly. But yeah, I also just really like the idea of like, I think we should all probably it kind of reminds me of something John Hill said recently on the show, which is like the idea of romancing yourself when it's just you like, you know, just appreciating softness and beauty and ease and like buying yourself flowers and, you know, all of those things. It's like, I think we should all be doing that stuff way more often. And if a birthday is a good excuse for it, then like go for it, you know? Yeah. Celebrate you. I love that. I'm so glad we solved this problem, y'all. You are the best. <laughs> Meha, Nyla, thank you both so much for coming on this week. This was very fun. This was more than 10 seconds of the light.
1: Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me.
2: In just a minute, we are going to talk about everyone's favorite topic period blood. No, I'm not kidding, but it is a pretty fun conversation. People who have periods often rely on the information on a box of pads or tampons that say how absorbent those period products are but did you know that up until very recently no one has ever published a study on menstrual products that used actual blood to test them studies really did look kind of like those tampon commercials with the blue liquid they used saline our next guest, Dr. Bethany Samuelson Bano, helped change that.
3: I think some people would say I'm a little
2: too comfortable talking about periods. Dr. Bano is a clinician and hematologist at Oregon Health and Science University, and her team used expired blood from their hospital's blood bank to evaluate the absorbing capability of a variety of products from tampons to cups. And when I first learned about this study, the fact that no one had actually used blood to test period products until now, I was both... Deeply shocked and not at all surprised at the same time.
3: (laughs) Yes, I know exactly what you mean. What happened was we started noticing that more folks in our clinic were using uh, menstrual cups. And we typically, when we take a history to decide if somebody has heavy periods or not, we ask them how many pads or tampons they use. And we didn't really have a metric for these menstrual cups. So we thought, well, we should check out these menstrual cups and, and you know, period underwear and discs and all these new sustainable options. And before we did that, we wanted to go back and see, hey, how how were pads and tampons tested so we can say we're doing it consistently? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when we really dug into the literature uh, and really found out. Gen- how generally little regulation there is, um, it's really only tampons that are regulated. And that is because of the toxic shock that happened back in kind of the the 80s. They mm-hmm. developed, the FDA developed something called the Tampon Task Force. And they are actually <laughs> the ones, I know, amazing, right? That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones who set the standard um, for using gram weight of saline to distinguish between types of tampons. And if you think about their goal, so their goal was really just to classify and, and make consistent uh, reports of absorbency between brands so an individual could choose the least absorbent product that sure, they needed. Sure. But then that just kind of continued to be used throughout the industry as far as we can tell. Uh, and so we thought, well, Maybe we should uh, redo this as well as checking out the, the period underwear and menstrual cups and all that.
2: Oh, my God. So, yeah, a U.S. news article about this stated that a search of the medical literature for the term menstrual blood turns up about 400 articles published over the past several decades versus 10,000 on erectile dysfunction.
3: That does not surprise me. Did you know that the NIH didn't require women to be a part of clinical trials funded by them until 1993?
2: I did know that. I did, and I'm still mad about it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we've come a long way since 1993, but we are still behind, so very behind.
2: It's just so fascinating. I mean, it really is, and I know these are a lot of very smart and very well-intentioned people in these rooms, but it really does often feel like There's just a guy in charge somewhere who's like, oh yeah, no, I know a lot about women. I don't need to actually look at one to know, like, (laughs) God forbid I have to engage with women, but, but yes, I'm an expert in this situation. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah. Well, the funny thing about women's health, and and this is something that I discover more and more as I do more research, is, you know, we're sort of at the point in time where we think that we really understand basic physiology Mm -hmm. and there's not really any funding for doing basic physiology studies anymore because they want to focus the funds on treatment uh, and diagnosis and things like that. But in reality, because we missed the opportunity to study the physiology of all this you know, for decades, if you know, maybe centuries, the reality is we're, we're behind. And, you know, when you try to power a study, you just don't know these basic facts that mm. everybody assumes we should by now. Um, and it's sad and it's hard. You know, as a hematologist, I treat people with bleeding disorders and uh, we're always trying to figure out how to stop bleeding. And, and we have this organ that bleeds and stops bleeding every 28 days for 40 years on half of the population. And somehow we haven't <laughs> studied how that works.
2: Interesting. So you mentioned a menstrual disc. That was something I actually hadn't heard of until I learned about this study. Can you explain what it is for people who don't know?
3: Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit like a menstrual cup in that there's sort of a ring at the top that fits around the cervix, um, to contain blood, but the, um, the bottom part of it is, is more flexible, um, than with a menstrual cup. So it it can easily, um, stretch or flatten, um, and it can hold a lot of blood as it turns out. Um, the biggest one we tested held up to 80 milliliters. Um, They also sometimes have an interesting function of auto emptying when somebody bears down to urinate or defecate. Um, So that's an interesting uh, aspect of them as well.
2: So you mentioned that a lot of what you're trying to figure out is how to measure like what we are considering to be heavy menstruation. What are some of the repercussions of that? Like, Why is that a useful thing to have be a standardized metric in terms of helping figure out women's health issues?
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, so first of all, a third of folks who menstruate will have heavy menstrual bleeding at some point in life. So this is Mm. a super common situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can have, you know, medical reproduction. So it can cause anemia. It can cause iron deficiency. um, You know, a huge amount of blood travels through the uterus. We even occasionally have people coming in with with uterine bleeding so heavy. They require blood transfusions. Um, But there's also. Yeah, I know it's horrifying. There are also, um, you know, other repercussions of quality of life. We know quality of life is impaired in folks who have heavy menstrual bleeding. Mm. Uh, And I have patients who have to miss a day or two of work every month uh, Mm. because of their heavy periods. Now, we get them past them. We don't leave them that way, to be clear. But some people (laughs) have been functioning like that for a long time because they just didn't know that it wasn't normal or healthy.
2: Mm-hmm. So this is probably super obvious, but can you explain like why measuring with saline is insufficient in this context? Yeah.
3: So, um, I mean the 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 phrase that keeps coming back to me is blood is thicker than water, and and that is true. So um but it behaves Differently with with different products. So with the with the menstrual underwear, like very clearly, like the blood like sat there and pooled mm. in a way that it didn't when we put water on there. It was very clear difference. So it was definitely <laughs> less absorptive of blood than water or saline. The tampons, however, actually absorbed more blood uh, than huh. the, than we would have expected with saline, and that was shown reportedly. Um, back in the 80s as well, but the gal who did that study never published the data, unfortunately, so we don't have it. Um, but I don't really understand why it works that way, but but it does. So yeah, that I mean, the products behave differently with blood than with water. It's just, you know, how it works.
2: That is really interesting. One thing we have talked about on the show before too, and obviously it has changed a lot over time, but like, you know, you think about something like birth control and it's sort of like... Yeah, no, we have this oral pill and that's kind of like we figured it out. So this is the only option you get sort of, you know, mm-hmm. and and again, mm-hmm. that has changed a lot over time. But I'm curious, what do yeah. you think of that in terms of feminine hygiene products? Because I think about, you know, like when I first had my period in like the early 90s, it was really just tampons or pads, you know, yeah. we were still like shown the videos with like the belts and stuff yep. in, in sex ed class.
3: Yep. I mean, I think it's great that the way the technology has improved, uh, and the way the options have improved. Um, I love that there are, there are more than there used to be. Um, you know, for people who want a more sustainable approach, we have these cups and discs and, and menstrual underwear. Uh, you know, for people who don't really feel comfortable inserting something, they can use pads and underwear instead of cups or tampons. I think, I think we have more options. Uh, and while part of me is really happy that, Uh, you know, the technology has improved such that things are more absorptive than they used to be. And hopefully that impairs quality of life less. Mm. Also, it just comes back to nobody should be bleeding that heavily that they have to change anything every two hours, you know? Mm, mm -hmm. Um, So I I think we really have a lot of work to do in managing periods on the medical side. I think that's actually where we're much more behind than in the world Mm. of menstrual products.
2: So yeah, what, what can that look like? I mean, I was always, and I don't know that I necessarily, I mean, you know, comparatively that I am a heavy bleeder, but like my cramps can get pretty bad. It's not the most pleasant experience. My understanding Mm -hmm. was always kind of like, well, yep, that's what it is. Like deal with it more or less. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Um, there are so many options and, uh, I will add, I work in women's health. I work with a lot of folks in, in women's health, Mm-hmm. We know it's safe to stop periods medically and almost all of us do because it's just not a pleasant thing exactly as you've said. <laughs> so it's actually safe to stop periods altogether medically. Uh, and there's options to do that. So, um, you know, the pill that you mentioned before, that could be taken continuously in a lot of folks. And that really can reduce blood loss quite a bit. Even mm-hmm. a gestural IUD. So it's marketed as Morena or Skyla or Lilletta, mm-hmm. any of those. Those will stop periods um, in like 40% and it will reduce blood loss by like 80%. So that is a fantastic tool for people with heavy, heavy bleeding. So there's, there's options. If we can find the folks who are having the heavy bleeding, you know, there's a lot we can do for them.
2: That's so interesting because I feel like there's still a stigma around skipping your period to a certain extent. You know what I mean?
3: I do. I do. That's
2: cheating or something.
3: I I hear that a lot in, in our clinic and there's stigma around everything in menstruation, right? People aren't (laughs) comfortable talking about it. And if you're not comfortable talking about it, then you're not going to have the breadth of knowledge that really, you know, you need to have to make informed decisions.
2: For sure. So yeah. How do you think this study is helping change, like move that needle? Like, do you think, do you, how do you hope doctors especially are going to respond to the results of what you found?
3: I mean, I think we need to understand the the physiology of the uterus that we don't get. I mean, that's that's kind of I'm putting my eggs in that basket. <laughs> I mean, I honestly I think that the biggest thing this study did was just get people talking about menstruation. I really want to get the message out there for people to talk about their periods, to ask their doctor about their periods. We learned about the whole human body in medicine and. The female reproductive tract is part of that, and we should be totally comfortable talking about it. So, talk about periods to people around you, mm. uh, you know, just to normalize that. I always used to joke, like, oh, I talked to my Uber driver about periods, and it's true because they asked me what I do, and that's what I do. But now I'm talking about <laughs> it to journalists and on the radio and all these cool things. And, and I hope that, uh, that you know, it'll get the general public talking as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So it doesn't have to be to a stranger just to clarify, but it could be if you I
3: guess. (laughs) Yeah, friends, family members, doctors, you know, it's, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's a totally normal body function.
2: Well, Dr. Bano, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. This was fascinating.
3: My pleasure, absolutely.
0: All
2: right. That's it for this week. Thanks as always for listening along. We are somehow halfway through the month of September. That means our book club pick this month is Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. The author interview is already in the feed. Tune in to our conversation about the book, which will come out the last Tuesday of the month. And of course, in the meantime, read the book and tell us what you think. You can email a little audio file to nerdappodcast at gmail.com. I am also super excited about our October selection. It is The Vaster Wilds by Lauren Groff. So get that one too. It just came out on Tuesday. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Baumann at WBEZ in Chicago and is part of the NPR network. And our executive producer
0: is Brendan Banasak. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast,